Um, so uh, our guest this morning is uh, Pastor Sam Snyder. And uh, so for those of you who are especially kind of recent to Bethel Christian Fellowship, uh, we are one of eight churches in what's called the All Nations Family of Churches. And uh, uh, there's eight of us. Some, some of these eight churches are centered on a particular ethnic group like the Haitian Christian Fellowship. Uh, but some of, some of them uh, have been intentionally trying to reach out uh, to uh, be more multi-ethnic. And um, one of these is what's Cross-Culture Community Church. And uh, all C's, you just got to keep in the C range and you're, and you're good. Uh, so we've heard Pastor Sam many times here before, and he is going to wrap up our series on just money. And uh, so Pastor Sam has a lot of important sh- stuff to share with us. So if you could just join me in praying for Pastor Sam. Uh, Heavenly Father, we are so grateful to have Pastor Sam with us. We're so grateful, Lord, to um, get to receive his insights he has about money. Lord, as, as this whole series, I've been, we've all been praying that you would uh, bring down the idols of, of money and that you alone would reign in our heart as our King and our Lord and our Savior. So we pray that the words that you give Pastor Sam this morning would be the very words we need to hear so that we could repent of any idolatry around money and that uh, you could have our entire heart. You could be our single and only treasure. May you bless and anoint Pastor Sam with all the power he needs to deliver this message in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you. It's great to be here with you all today. It's been a bit since I've been here, so I'm glad, well, been here to, to speak. I've been here a few times over the summer just to visit, and it's been great to connect and see everything that's going on here. God's doing great things, and we're excited about that. And I got to listen to some of the messages on this in this series of Just Money, and uh, you guys have covered a lot of interesting things. Last week was, was phenomenal. I, I really appreciated the different stories and the personal applications and stuff like that that came with it. And I'm going to jump right into it if that's okay. Because um, I know that I don't have till 12.30, so we're just going to keep it moving. I don't have. Some of you got worried. They're like, I think he said I do have till 12.30. I don't. So I want to jump right in. There's lots of money references in the Bible, and yet we don't like to talk a lot about money. We say things like, well, it's just too personal. And there was a phrase that was made popular over 40 years ago. Some of you might remember It's uh, this phrase that says, it's not personal, it's just business. And it's used to to justify decisions that are impersonal. And I think that could actually be another series you guys could do. Just business. I mean, now that you're covering all the other ones. Uh, Just sex, just money, just power, just business. It's just business. But I think actually with money... It might, be, it might be different. Money is very personal to us. And we, we make a lot of our decisions around money very personally. And we don't make them with a business mindset, actually. Dave, I'll come back, probably say this again, but Dave Ramsey asked this question. If you were CEO of You Incorporated, would you fire you for how you manage your money? Because we manage our money differently than if we were paid to manage our money and we had the money and we had people that we were accountable to for that money, we would manage it probably differently. But we don't because it's personal. It's, what do we, I mean, we say it's my money. I worked hard for this money. I earned this. And uh, we can have that mindset. Sometimes we can even go as far as Gollum from the Lord of the Rings and have it like, it's mine. My own, my precious, right? And uh, hopefully that's not the case. But sometimes we can get that way, like, but it's mine. And when we look at Scripture, we see that the earth is the Lord's and all that is in it. The world and all those who live in it, it all belongs to God. The psalmist also put it like this. He says, For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the, I, all the birds of the hills and all the moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and its fullness is mine. So the only one who can say it's mine is God. But we get confused sometimes. 
And we say, but it's mine. So I've been working on this and thinking about this. I think it's been over a month since uh, Pastor Steve and I talked about me wrapping this, 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 this series up. And uh, I've been thinking about it, been working on it for a while. And I, last night I decided, I'm, you know, I'm just going to hang with the kids. We're going to watch a movie because on Saturday nights we have movie night. And they picked The Lion King. And as we're watching The Lion King, something happens. And I'm like, ooh. And the kids heard me. They should know by now that that ooh means this is going in a sermon. <laughs> Things happen in life, and it's like, ooh. And, uh, and this line really hit me. So when, when Mufasa is showing his young, soon-to-be king Simba, the rain, where he says everything that the light touches, right? So Simba's response is, all of this will belong to me. And Mufasa's response was, it belongs to no one, but will be yours to protect. A great responsibility. And I was like, ooh. <laughs> Today we're going to talk about stewardship, oikonomics. And some of you looked in the bulletin and were like, what is oikonomics? Sam made up a word again. And uh, it's true, kind of. I didn't make it up, though. Somebody else wrote a book a while back called Oikonomics, and I was like, I'm going to use that. I saw the title, and I was like, ooh, I'm going to use that. But oikonomics comes from the word oikonomos, which was the word for a steward, someone who managed the household. It comes from the word oikos, which is household. Someone who manages the household for someone else. A king or a lord, someone with, with resources, would have someone that they would trust to manage the household. And they were the oikonomos. And we're going to look at a couple stories where, where, where that idea of someone entrusting someone else with finances is used in the New Testament. But the job of a steward was to manage the resources of someone else faithfully. And uh, I'm a Lord of the Rings and Hobbit fan, and uh, so I can't help, but whenever I hear the word steward, the steward of Gondor comes to mind. And for those of you who haven't read those long books, um, the steward of Gondor was a guy whose family long ago had been entrusted with taking care of the kingdom, managing this kingdom of Gondor in the absence of the king. And the problem was that the steward of Gondor wasn't a good steward because even though he had a little throne below the big throne in the background, which was the king's throne, he believed he was the king. And in fact, it was such a pervasive belief in how he managed and how he consumed the goods of the king that at one point when the true king is walking with the son of the steward, the son of the steward says, Gondor has no king. Gondor needs no king. And I can't think of stewardship and being a steward without thinking of that example of a bad steward. But how many times are we like that guy? Like, we think, oh, everything that I have is mine. But it's not. And that's like a foundational belief that has to shift for us. Like, it's not mine. It's all God's. So we can have a poverty mindset or a scarcity mindset that means we don't have enough, but it's still stuck on that part of, like, I don't, like, what I have isn't enough, but we got to shift and go like, God has it all. So anything that I have is, is his, and he's sharing with me. And the whole time I get to have it, I'm only managing it on his behalf. It's a totally different way of thinking about finances, and it informs how we do business. Because if we're a steward, it's not personal, it's business. It's our job to manage these resources that we've been entrusted. So I'm going to look at with you at a couple scriptures that kind of set the stage of someone managing finances. The first one is in Luke chapter 12. You can see it up there. The Lord gave this example. Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? So this one's administrating food for several. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. So very similar to the steward of Gondor, you know, 
It's a blessed person who's been given the responsibility to take care of the resources of the master in his house and to take care of the other people in the house. And that person's blessed and happy when the master returns and finds him doing that. And the master's going to say, I'm going to put you over all of my possessions. That's a big promotion. More than just the household, all, all of the possessions. Another example where Jesus uses finances to illustrate what is in the heart is in Matthew chapter 25. And I'm going to ask you to do something with me that we like to do over at Cross Culture, and it'll make me feel way more comfortable being here. Um, when, a lot of times when we look at the scripture that's our, kind of our key scripture, we'll open up our Bibles together or our digital devices and stand. So if you're able to stand with me as we read this key scripture... That will just make me feel right at home. I feel like we're at cross-culture. And here Jesus is giving examples that using finances as an illustration of what's of the heart. He said, Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, and some of your Bibles will say talents. We'll talk about that in a minute. To another two bags, and to another one bag each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed? Well, then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. For whoever has will be given more, and they will have in abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let's pray. God, we ask that you would open up your word to us, open up our eyes, our ears, our mind, our heart to receive from you what you have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Thank you. So I know I'm reviewing some concepts that were already touched on, but I want to set the, set the stage before we get into the practicals of like how do we do this with this understanding that it's not ours, it's his, and we're managers of that. And here... It's using the example of these bags of gold or these talents, which one talent would be roughly equivalent to 15 years' worth of wages. And I did the math on what that would be for, for nowadays, and that's a lot of money. If you think of five talents, that's about 75 years of wages. That's longer than the average lifespan would have been at that time. So they're giving them, he, he's giving them more than any human could have earned in their lifetime as a, just as an average worker. So if we just said $50,000 per year over the course of your lifetime averaged out, so say you started out at less and you ended at higher, but you average it out over 75 years of work, you're talking $3.75 million. That's how much he, he gave the guy with five talents. Like almost $4 million. But the one who only got one talent, wasn't too and too bad. They had about $750,000. You could do something with that. I mean, how many of you here, if, if I gave you $750,000 and said, do something with this, 
Would you think you could turn 750,000 into at least like 800,000? Yeah. Some of you are like, I could turn that into one and a half million. Easy. Okay. This is what's happening here. He's entrusted them. And we get a picture of, of what's going on when Jesus tells a similar story. And I think Jesus, these are stories that Jesus must have told several times and with slightly different twists and adjustments as he's telling them. Because as you have a different crowd, you use even different words to tell your story, different ideas. You're getting different things across. But in Luke 19, he tells a very similar story with a couple differences. There it uses a, the mina as a uh, measurement of, of, of the coin, of the, the money. And that was three, three months' wages, and there were 10 minas. So 30 months' wages for a day laborer, approximately $50,000 in today's currency to receive 30 minas. So in that story, they're receiving less. It's $50,000. But still, like if I just gave you $50,000, you might be able to do something with it, right? Not just spend it. We're all like, I could spend it for sure. In verse 17 in Luke, he says this. At the end, when they come back, faithfully having administered this, he says, because you have been trustworthy in a very small matter, take charge of 10 cities. Now it was just $50,000 that he managed on behalf of his boss. But he said, but you were trustworthy in this very small matter. Now, like, we think of $50,000, we're like, that's not that small. Like, that feels kind of big. I, I'd like to manage your 50000 But he says, this was a small matter, not a big thing. But because you were faithful in this small thing, take charge of 10 cities. Now you're ruling over something you could not have accomplished on your own. And then in verse 22 through 23, it gives us an idea really of what's going on even with the master as the one, the one who didn't administer the funds properly. And he said, well, I know you're, you're, you're hard. And in these words, it really gets at the heart of it, I think. His master replied, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. You knew, did you, that I am a hard man, taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow? Why then did you put my why didn't you put my money on deposit? So that when I came back, I could have collected it at least with interest. So he's saying, it's not that the master in these stories is a hard man who's extracting from people what he didn't invest. No, he's actually investing. He is investing in them. But he's saying, in your mind, you had this, this mindset that was wrong about who I really am, about who the master really is. Your mindset was wrong. So you said you made decisions based on that mindset, but I'm going to judge you by your words. If you actually, if that was true, and you weren't just making up excuses, then at least you would have put it in the bank and there would have been interest on it. But you didn't even do that. It's like, man, that's harsh, Jesus. Where was gentle Jesus, meek and mild? <laughs> we're called to be trustworthy with the things that have been entrusted to us. So we're not just talking about money, but all of our resources, our time, our energies, our, our financial resources, our uh, positions that we have in life. Whatever platform you have, you're called to use that, whatever it is. So the idea of oikonomics is more than just managing, oh, I manage money faithfully. I manage all of the resources that God has entrusted to me faithfully. So we're talking about just simply stewardship. It's administering God's resources. It's a call even to live simply because not ostentatiously, not lavishly. It's not, I mean... If you see someone administering someone else's resources and it starts to look like they're spending those resources on themselves and the boss shows up and he's like, can I see the books, please? Because I think you're spending this on yourself. We're not, so it is a call as a steward. It's a call to live simply. And when we think about finances, it's, um, it's not complicated, Actually, like we can complicate finances, but personal finance is pretty straightforward. Spend less than you make. It seems really confusing, but it's really not. The challenge is it's simple, but not easy. Because it's simple to say, well, yeah, spend less than you make. 
But then once you get down to it, then there's all these expenses and there's these different bills and there's this different stuff and we can lose track of either how much we, we, we make or how much we've spent and then we come up with a problem in the middle that things aren't adding up to the same thing. It means, though, if we're going to live just simply steward, it means we're choosing to live below our means because we recognize it's not my money and it's not about money. It's about my heart. And that's what Jesus was illustrating with these two different stories. It wasn't just that how we manage money is important. He used that as an example that to, to show that how we manage everything that God's given us shows where our heart's at. It's a big responsibility. So it's, it's simple, but it's not easy. First Timothy 6, and I think you guys looked at this one already too, puts it this way, and I just want to hit it again. Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Godliness with contentment is great gain. The New Living Translation puts it this way, yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. The pastor of one of the authors of this book, True Riches, I think Pastor Steve mentioned this, this book, good book, simple book, quick read. If you're like, man, that's too easy of a read for me, I want something more academic, then you could read their other book, God and Money. And uh, it's much denser. Good read. There are lots of books on money out there. I could recommend a bunch to you. But it comes down to a couple simple things. You know, spend less than you make and recognize it's not mine, it's his. So it's a heart thing where I say, man, this is my business to manage the resources he's entrusted to me. So there's one of the, one of the pastors of one of the authors of this book put it this way. He said there are two ways to be rich. One is to have a lot of money and the other is to just not need a lot of money. So there are things that we can do to simplify our lives so that we don't need. So one of the ways of managing money, so if let's say we're, we've got um, income and expense, and right now our expense is higher than our income for whatever reason, either income is down or expenses are up, there are two things you can do. Try to increase your income or try to reduce your expenses. Again, it's not complicated, but it's hard because that's work. And yet, we live in a world right now where there are more than 700 million people living in extreme poverty. 900 million suffering from hunger. 9 million will die of hunger this year in the world. That's crazy. That's like almost double the population of Minnesota. We live in a very affluent country. So if you're here, the standard of what it means to be in poverty here is higher than what it means to be in poverty around the world. And yet, there's inequality and there is not justice in, 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 in systems that, that kind of position us here, put us in this, in this place. So even when we look at this country, more than 10% of our country is below poverty level. 78% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. So that's... Most, that's the people who are at poverty level or below and most everyone else. So if you look around the room right now, 8 out of 10 are probably living paycheck to paycheck. Think about that. The average American, as of 2018, had around $38,000 in personal debt. It, that's without counting mortgage loans. $38,000. Now, there was a, a, a commercial that, that played a while ago on TV. It was like a funny commercial. This guy's got it all, and he's on his lawnmower. I don't know if you guys remember that, and he's happy on his really brand-new lawnmower, brand-new house, brand-new car, and he's mowing along, and his neighbor comes up. He's like, how do you afford all of that? And he's like, I'm in debt up to my eyeballs. <laughs> but that's the world we live in. 
dead is completely normal. Which, there's a correlation between the, the, the state of debt burden and um, paycheck to paycheck uncertainty that we live in and the mental health state of our country. You have high levels of anxiety, high levels of depression. Is that a coincidence when the likelihood is that those people who are facing these challenges of 78% of paycheck to paycheck and average person at least $38,000, if that's normal, we should not be surprised that we're anxious. I get anxious thinking about it. Like, <gasps> this is the world that we live in. Uh, the way Dave Ramsey likes to put it, he says that this is normal. I don't want to be normal. Normal's broke. I don't want to be normal. It's okay to be weird. Like, let's be weird. As the people of God, we're called to be weird. We're called to be different. So the world's normal should not be our normal. But there has to be a fundamental shift in our thinking when, when it comes to finances. The first piece is it's not mine. Whatever I do with my money, whatever I spend, it's not mine. Okay. The God who owns, who created the universe, the God who owns all of the cattle on 10,000 hills and he owns all of the silver and the gold, that's my God, it's his stuff. If I'm in need, he provides and he takes care of me. I'm going to live with trust and faith in him and according to his way of doing things and he'll take care of me. Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God and then all these other things that we worry about will be taken care of. And you're like, Sam, that sounds really good in a sermon. That'll preach. But that's not what I'm living right now. That's not my experience. What does that mean when we lay out a plan for how we're going to do life? Because we all agree, like, yeah, God owns it all. But how does that impact my spending life? How does it impact the fact that right now I have debt? What do we do now? Well, let me give you a couple steps, a couple things that I think are connected to this framework of oikonomics. Again, if you worked for you, incorporated, and handled money the way that you do now, would you fire you? Did you know that the majority of people, the average person, thinks that they're good with their finances? Now look at those numbers. But the average person, and we have offered financial classes repeatedly, and people don't really come to them. We'll announce it. We've even done a money-back guarantee with Dave Ramsey. You pay for the class, we will give you your money back at the end of the class if you go to it. That's how much we believe that if you can live free from debt, it will change your life. And people don't show up. Because the average person, the statistics say, the average person believes that they're above average about everything. <laughs> Which is crazy if you think about it. But specifically in finances, the average person believes that they're doing okay. That they're doing better than average. They don't need help. Another statistic that I thought was quite interesting was that I think it's about 80%, right about where the paycheck to paycheck line is, uh, believe that their giving is above average, but when asked if they've given more than $50 to a charity within the last year, the majority responded, no. How is your generosity above average if you haven't even given $50 away? Anyway, I digress. So the first step, if we're going to be um, managing God's resources, is to plan prudently. Good planning and hard work lead to prosperity, but hasty shortcuts lead to poverty. Like, get-rich schemes are schemes. And we shouldn't fall for them. We work diligently. We plan to use the funds that we have well. We plan diligently with the funds that we have. So that means we're not greedy. Like, our motivation isn't to get more because it's mine, but it's his. So if I have a lot or I have a little, it doesn't matter because it's his anyway. It's not, a, it's not a reflection on my value as a person or my abilities or my hard work. Whatever I have, he's entrusted to me. So I remember um, a story with my children, and they will all remain nameless to protect the guilty. And 
But there was this one point where two of our kids were out front selling lemonade, 25 cents a cup. They made like 30 bucks in about an hour. Because people would show up and they'd be like, oh, it's so cute, you guys made lemonade. And they'd pay them a dollar for their cup of lemonade. And they'd, oh, keep the change, 30 bucks. So these other two saw what was happening and they're like, oh man, we can do better. They took the sign, flipped it over, and made it 50 cents per cup. What happened? What do you think happened? Did they make $60? They made less than 10. They stayed out there longer. Don't be greedy. Don't take hasty shortcuts. Well, if, if they can make 30 in an hour, if we double the price, we'll make 30 in, 15, in 20 minutes, 30 minutes. We got this. And no, that's not how it worked because people were going by and they saw, oh, it's really cheap for a cup of lemonade. And oh, it's little kids, how cute. Oh, keep the change. But it's like 50 cents. Oh, that is expensive. I bet it's not even good. And they drive right on by. So don't be greedy. Plan prudently when you go to plan. Plan realistically. That means spending your money on paper before you spend it in person. John Maxwell puts it this way, a budget is telling your money where to go instead of wondering where it went. <laughs> if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. You guys have heard that one before, right? We've got to take that approach with our finances. Like, if we don't stop to plan and think about what we're doing, we're planning to fail. So it takes time. It is work, but it's our job. It's our business to manage the resources that we've been entrusted. So that means we've got to review our actual expenses. Look at how much we're actually spending. Evaluate our budgetary categories. Determine what is our actual need. Like some of us are here and, and we're like, well, I'm, my need is higher than what my income is. Right? Others are like, you know, well, I could always make more. So uh, Rockefeller was asked on his dying bed how much would have been, you know, one more dollar. Just one more dollar. That's how much is enough. I think he had the wrong idea. It was personal for him. For us, let's say you've, you've got your job, your things are doing pretty good, you've, got, you've had your career, how much is enough? Instead of like, well, everyone else in my position would do this, what is God calling you to do with his resources? So to evaluate your needs and go like, this is my lifespan. This is where I'm probably headed. This is how much I'm going to need in retirement. Rather than going like, well, if I have more, I might as well spend more. Statistically, people will increase their spending as their income increases. Nobody goes like, man, I survived on $10,000 a year. And now I'm making $20,000 a year. I got $10,000 in my savings account. Right? No, that's never happened to anyone. Because they're like, well, I got another 100 bucks this week. I got another 200 bucks. I need this. I need that. So if you go from ten dollars to $20,000, you probably increased your spending. If you go from fifty dollars to $100,000 over the course of a few years, you probably increased your spending. What was enough just kind of inched its way up. And before... Maybe 10 years ago or 20 years ago, you might have said, I could never spend that much money. But then, but we need this, and we need that. So one important thing to do is, as you plan prudently, determine what your actual needs are. How much is enough? What do you need for retirement? Because once you go see a financial advisor, they'll tell you you need all of your paycheck for retirement. Because they make income off of that. That's their life. So, I mean, they probably won't say all your paycheck. But they're going to pick the higher numbers. But you've got to do the math. And look at your life and go, what do I need for the future? What do I need to be saving for fixing this thing on the house that will break? What do I need? So, one, determine how much is enough. Another helpful point that uh, True Riches brings up in a really simple way is make margin. So look for ways to create margin. And margin is simply, all right, so our income and our expenses are right about here right now. Hopefully they're, they're about even for you right now. And if, if, if your expenses are higher than your income, making margin would be finding a way to either reduce your income or increase your expenses so that there's space in between them. 
space to breathe. It might mean taking another job for a little bit. It might mean going through all of your belongings and finding things you actually don't use and selling them. It might mean examining your debt and finding ways to get rid of it. But the first step that is recommended is create an emergency fund. Most Americans don't have an emergency fund, and emergencies happen. So our first step is to create an emergency fund. If you have a physical budget, which you, I really recommend you have one, to know how you're spending your money, and your budget could be really complicated in an Excel spreadsheet, or it could be using one of the many apps that are out there for that, or it could literally be as simple as a bunch of envelopes that you stick money into, physically stick money into, and then that's what you're going to spend. It doesn't have to be complicated, but it just means a plan that you have to spend money so that you don't wonder where it went. So the first step is create an emergency fund, and a good starting place for that is $1,000. That's what Dave Ramsey recommends with Financial Peace University, $1,000 in the bank. And that might be, oh, $1,000, that's a lot of, I mean, I could buy this, or I could fix that thing, or I could update this with $1,000. But if I told you, and so we think, oh, that might take me a couple months to get $1,000, but if I told you that someone was sick and in the hospital, and that someone was somebody that you cared for deeply, would you be able to come up with $1,000 in a week? You might start going to every neighbor being like, hey, is there anything I can fix on your house? Can I mow the lawn for you? Can I clean? You'd be calling people up being, is there anything I can... You'd call Domino's, and if you've ever been to Domino's, you know they're hiring. <laughs> You'd call Domino's be like, hey, can I work here? Chances are yes. Yeah, you probably can. Um, you'd look for another source of income. You'd make the sacrifice because your loved one could die without that $1,000. So you'd make the sacrifice because it's important. The same kind of mindset for having an emergency fund is like, it's important. Because we'll, we'll typically start saving money up for something and then something happens and then, whoop, I guess we don't have money anymore. Or we'll even go into debt when an emergency comes up. The next step after a $1,000 emergency fund that's recommended is go to three to six months of expenses so that when something happens, there's an accident, there's a problem at work, Maybe if you're self-employed, you didn't make as much money as you were thinking on that particular project or it cost you more time than you thought, you're okay. There's no stress because, you know, we've got the emergency fund. It's for emergencies. And I'm managing the funds that God has given me prudently. If you're like, I don't even know how to find that $1,000. One of the ways, like I mentioned, is just beginning to find ways to save money. And one way that you can do that is hang out with people who like to save money. And you'll learn all their tricks. Oh, I've got this coupon. I've got this app. I never buy things there. I buy them over here. Oh, well, that's a nice little trick. I just save 10% on my groceries. I just save 5% on my gas. And you start learning things from people by hanging out with people who are saving money. They're serious about their finances and how they're managing them. So... Spend strategically. That'd be the next one. A budget is a strategic spending plan. So it's not just like, well, I have money to spend. Oh, I have grocery money. I have X amount of $100 for groceries. I'm just going to spend money for groceries. It's like, oh, we ran out. No, spending strategically means if you know I've got a limited amount of money for groceries. We have seven people in our house, and they're gro five of them are growing children. And we have guests in our house several times a week that eat with us. And we don't charge admittance. You know, it's like as people are coming in, ah, that'll be $15 for dinner tonight. Right? So we have to plan so that our, our grocery budget can stretch. You don't just go like walking down the grocery aisle like, oh, that looks good. Oh, yeah, some of those too. And definitely don't shop on a hungry stomach. Don't shop on an empty stomach. It's terrible. I, that's, how, that's the only way that I shop. My wife is never happy that I went shopping. She's like, it would have been better if I would have gone, right? She's like, I'd rather, because I come back with all this other stuff because I was hungry. That looked good. That's not strategic. Strategic is how Sarah sits down. She lays out the menu for the week. 
and thinks that means that we're going to need this many tomatoes, we're going to need this much, uh, this much oil, this much everything, and it's laid out, then she goes shopping because she knows what she needs before she gets there. That's like strategic thinking. So if we take that type of strategic thinking towards everything else, like for instance, we're going to need to buy clothing at some point. We should probably begin to, a budget line for clothing. Clothing wears out. Cars break down. Things like that. So we spend strategically. But here are some things that we can do to spend strategically. For starters, look around at what you do have, and we usually have too much. People in this country... This doesn't happen in very many other countries. Anyway, people in this country, we pay to store our junk. So right here, this is if you get nothing more from this today, if you have things in storage and you haven't used them in over a year, I am about to make you lots of money. Sell it or give it away. And you just saved yourself that monthly bill. And if you sold it, you made a little bit of money. And if you gave it away, you blessed someone. Either way, you win. But if you're not really using it, it's like we, we hold on to it because it's personal. But, I mean, those were the clothes that the... And that's cool, that we should hang on to some things that are emotional. But if we go back through that storage container or storage building... And we evaluate, like, not everything is worth the same to us. To just go through it and go, like, you know, we aren't going to use that couch again. Let's give it away. Let's sell it. Put it up on Craigslist for 50 bucks or Facebook Marketplace, whatever you prefer. Depends if you want to get robbed or not. <laughs> I got robbed because of a Craigslist thing. Um, it didn't end well for the other guy. Uh, but it did. It definitely made me a little bit gun shy about uh, doing uh, Craigslist. Now I might consider Facebook Marketplace. All right. So here are some strategic spending things. Get rid of stuff that you have that you're not using. You'll make some money that way. You'll create some margin. You'll have more room in your house. If you have seriously, if you have like six of something or ten of something, how much do you need of it? You like. I have seven white undershirts or something like that. Do I need seven undershirts that are the same color? I don't know. But there's enough room in my drawer right now. But if I had to make room in my closet for these white shirts, I'd have to start going, do I need seven undershirts? So evaluate your closet, your clothing. Like maybe you don't need everything that you have. Or maybe you could take some and hide it. And when you feel like going shopping, go find it. And then you're like, oh, this is really cool. I really like this shirt. <laughs> you think I'm joking. I'm serious. Okay. Um, other strategic spending. Buy used cars instead of new cars. If you buy it new, you paid for the devaluation. As soon as you drove it off the lot, you lost that money. It's never coming back. Buy it a year old if it's got to be really new for you because you don't want it to deal with breaking down and all that kind of stuff. Whatever, buy it a year old then. Somebody else took the hit, not you. You saved money. You got a 25% discount. We like discounts, don't we? Like it's a sale. Buy it used. You got a sale. If you want the best spot, I think it's eight years is, is the current study. About eight years old is the best price uh, that you can find. Does that sound right, all you Dave Ramsey people? So you really want to say, like, way down where you can turn around and sell it, and you're going to get about what you paid for it if you turn around and sell it a couple years later. One really good way to save money on buying cars is pay for it in cash. Because, well, one, you can actually get a better price if you have the cash, you know, you're doing this, rather than a check. And you're okay walking away. Like, oh, I had, here's my $10,000 I was about to spend here. And your commission's right in there. But you don't want, oh, you know, better price. I can walk away. Bartering is not just for other countries. We can barter here too. I tried bartering uh, in Mexico. We were buying a Christmas tree with some of the missionaries down there just a couple weeks ago. And it was a box store like Walmart. Uh, so 
there's this Christmas tree that had the wrong price on it. It was already 30% off because of the price, but I had to get it down from the display. So I'm telling the lady, man, I'm having to like get this down from the display. I think that that's worth at least half of... And I'm like, oh man, and I don't know how long these lights have been on, so... And this is the display model. I don't know, and I'm trying to get it for half instead of 30% off. She's just laughing at me. But you know what? You can always try. I've gotten a lot of discounts in my life because I walk up to things and go like, hey, do you have a special price? Do you have a discount? Like, I'll do, and I'll pretend like I'm joking, but they'll be like, they'll laugh at my joke, and they'll be like, actually. And I get like a dollar off. Cool? 5% off? Great. I'll take it. So be strategic, pay for things in cash, use coupons and discounts, barter when appropriate, be okay with walking away. You'll save money that way. Stop, if you feel like buying something, sleep on it. Like, don't sleep on top of it, but <laughs> take a break and say, I'll come back to this tomorrow, and maybe you realize you don't really need it as much as you want. Here's another one for strategic spending. Pray about it. Because maybe God has a surprise for you if you'd pray about it, and say, God, this is what I need right now, and then he provides it for you instead of you providing it for yourself. Here's another strategic spending. Try not to eat out or have a policy for eating out. Food is a lot cheaper in your kitchen than it is at somebody else's kitchen. So come up with a plan. Like, how, When is it okay to eat out in your budget? What eating out expenses? Because it's way inflated in what it actually costs. Don't eat out unless there's these, these things. So for us, eating out is something that we do for special occasions. We don't eat out because we're hungry. You know you can go about 40 days without food? So you can probably make it 40 minutes till you get home. Just saying. We don't eat out because we're hungry. This is a personal policy that we made. But we eat out to celebrate things as a celebration. We can cook at home. Or we can skip a meal. We can fast. Don't get coffee out. I know, I know. You could save... Lots of money. And here's, make up your own policy. I don't care, but have a strategy. Our policy is, we, I have no problem spending money on expensive coffee if I'm doing it to treat a friend to coffee. Because it's about the relationship and about the time that we're spending together, and this is a special time. So I build that in. We build that into how we spend money on coffee. But if it's just for caffeine, then I'm probably doing something, like, you know how long you waited in line to get that coffee? If time is money, you spent a lot of money standing in line and driving there and gas. You already have coffee at your house. Margin is creating budget in my time so that I say, you know what, I need five extra minutes or ten extra minutes to make my coffee in the morning. So this was our policy. Coffee is for connecting, not for caffeine. There's coffee at home, so plan ahead. Just being strategic. I'm just giving you ideas, okay? I just want, Pastor Steve said be practical, so I'm giving you ideas, practical ones. How often do we spend extra because we didn't plan ahead for something? We make an emotional, uh, an emotional decision on something because we weren't planning ahead. We put things on credit. But here's the, the secret nobody wants you to know. If you can't afford it, you can't afford it. I know, this is all really complicated stuff. But if you can't afford it now, you can't afford it later when it's 18% more expensive. So it's a trap. Credit cards are a trap. Don't take on any more debt. So if you get nothing more from this, go, I'm done with debt. I'm going to find a way to get out of debt. I'm not taking on any more debt. Proverbs 22 says that the borrower is slave to the lender. Romans 13 tells us, owe oh, no one anything except the debt of love. If you have debts, and we usually tend to take out a bunch of small ones, tackle the smallest one. Make that your next goal. Dave Ramsey calls it the, the debt snowball. You build momentum. So you've got a bunch of minimum payments on a bunch of stuff. Stop doing minimum payments. Like That's killing you because you're paying the interest. So take the smallest one, Find a way, work at Domino's, do whatever you got to do. Sell stuff. That's a really good one. Sell stuff. Pay that one off. Take the money you were putting on that minimum, put it on the next one. Work really hard, do whatever you got to do. Pay that one off. Take all of the money from those next two, 
put it on the next one. And before you know it, you're going to pick up momentum because you're going to stop paying so much interest, and you're going to get excited because it feels good to pay off debt. Feels good to be done with it. Save seriously. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. Save for emergencies. I mentioned this already. An emergency fund. First step. That'll create margin in your life. You can breathe. Save for short-term expenses. So if you want to buy something that you don't have the money for now, begin to save for it. Sell things. But say, you know what? I'm going to reduce how much I'm putting into this particular budget category, this fund, in order to do this. Reduce expenses. Short-term expenses, medium-term expenses. And then when we think long-term, oh, oh, this one's really good. Uh, Proverbs 21.20. Precious treasure and oil are in a wise man's dwelling, but a foolish man devours it. Um, I've been very business-minded, and that's a, a challenge for me because I know how to make money. And my, my challenge in money with my relationship with God is him saying no. Because I have ideas and ways of making money. If I see an opportunity, I can figure out how to make money on it. And God says no. That's a distraction for you. Like, but somebody needs to do that. It's like it's just there waiting. So when I was a kid, I, after a while of going down to the store that was La Tiendita, the store down the street from the house, for, for much of my life and giving them all my money, I realized there's a problem here. I'm going to save up my money, go into town with my parents, and buy the big packs of candy, and I will be the Tiendita. So for my neighbors... I was the guy with the candy. So I was selling candy and soda out of my, out of my house to the neighbor kids. No licenses needed there. And, uh, and I was selling fireworks. I mean, it was a whole deal. And I'm making lots of money. But at one point, I realized I wasn't making as much money as I thought. You know why? I was eating my profits. You know, because you're selling things and you're like, oh, these are really good candies. You should have one. So don't devour your profits. Don't eat it all. Save for the future. Invest intentionally. Wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. So if you're not saving anything for the future, start with 1%. Just a little. Little by little, start saving. If your job has any kind of matching thing, max that out. And actually, I'll say this to you guys too. Some of your jobs offer matching to 501c3 organizations. Ask. They might take 2% that you would give to the church and match it. Like, how cool would that be? Your job is giving money to the church. Right? So look into it. See if they have matching gifts to nonprofits but they probably have matching gifts or, or contributions to retirement accounts. That's free money. Take it. Take that 1% or that 2% that they'll match. Max that out. Even if it just seems like a little, it's a start. But here's the thing. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain, so my trust is not in that. My trust is in God. But I'm looking to the future. I'm investing but not just for the future, like retirement and all that kind of stuff, but for eternity. Give generously, not grudgingly. Proverbs eleven twenty five: a generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. You want to prosper? Be a generous person. Closed fists, there's no room for anything in them. Open hands, there's room for more. So stuff can come and go. Your time, your treasures, everything comes and goes with open hands. It's a generous heart that recognizes it's not even mine. It's nice to give other people's money away, isn't it? Have you ever had the opportunity to just bless someone with someone else's money? Yeah, it's cool. It's fun. It's like, ah, oh, it's not a big deal. I can pay for that. I can pay for that too. It's not my money. Guess what? It's not your money. So give generously. Less than 3% of American Christians tithe. It's 2.3% of American Christians give 10%, at least. That's nuts. In a survey where most people consider themselves above average in their generosity, and even us Christians, less than 3% give, 
Give at least 10%? That's harsh. But let's go back to King Mufasa. He says, while others search for what they can take, a true king searches for what he can give. Yeah, I go, oh. <laughs> Timothy, Paul writing to Timothy puts it this way, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds and be generous, willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Now, just to give you a quick summary, I know we talk about tithing sometimes in churches. Tithing in the New Testament, it, does, it doesn't exist in the New Testament. I think Pastor Steve already mentioned this. New Testament giving is radically generous above and beyond tithing. It's sacrificial. It's the kind that says, how much do we need? Okay, let's give the rest away. What? Yeah, let's sell our retirement plan. Let's sell our properties to feed the poor. Let's sell our properties to provide so that the apostles can actually be dedicated to the work that they're doing and so that Peter doesn't go back to fishing again because you know he will. Like, let's make sure he can eat. And he says that in this kind of radical giving where we just administer the funds that God has put in our hands, we can invest and lay up treasure for ourselves in heaven. This is the best investment plan. Seriously, the return on investment is out of this world. When we're faithful stewards of the resources that God has given to us, we will give. And here are some suggestions that the authors of God and Money put forward, just even in terms of thinking categorically of what we give our money to. And these are things that the church is called to do, so that should be a no-brainer place to start. Because churches do this kind of stuff. There are nonprofits that specialize in a particular part, but churches are actually called to all three of those. Serve the poor. Save the lost. Strengthen the believers. You will see that in the New Testament and the Old Testament. Those are things we should give to. But remember... It's just money. We're called to be faithful administrators of all of the resources that God has entrusted to us. Everything. It's all his. Our very lives, our very breath is his. This money is just temporary. It's a tool. It serves a purpose. Let's make sure we don't serve the tool instead of the master that entrusted us with those tools. So my invitation for you today is maybe you've had a scarcity mindset that says there's not enough. I want to invite you to an abundance mindset that says that there is enough because your dad owns it all. You don't need a rich uncle, you've got a rich father. Maybe you need to go from but thinking that what you do have is yours to going, it's all God's. I surrender. Maybe you need to pray this. I surrender control of my finances to you, God. Uh, the, the story goes that when the crusaders coming out of Europe were heading out into the Middle East in their holy war, they would get baptized just in case they died because that was somehow their assurance of getting into the... Anyway, and they'd be baptized with their sword out of the water because, and that was symbolically, this is the story, symbolic that all that I am belongs to God, but my sword belongs to the king. And I think sometimes as Christians, we get baptized with our wallet out of the water and we go, all that I am belongs to God, but my wallet belongs to me. So maybe today the challenge for you is every, to say to God, even opening your hands in prayer and saying, God, everything that I have is yours. God, forgive me for when I have managed my money, my time, my everything in ways that went against that, that believe that it's somehow mine. God, forgive me for mismanaging funds and not having planned in the past. You know what? There's grace. There's tons of second chances. God gives us so many opportunities, and maybe today is your opportunity for a shift of direction to say, like, I don't want to go the way that I've been going anymore. And if you're in debt today, I want to encourage you that God is a God of miracles. He's a God of provision. 
And if you're setting your heart to say, I'm going to deal with this, I'm going to confront this thing, I'm not going to ignore those bills when they come in the mail, I'm going to confront this thing, I'm going to take the time to lay it all out, and I'm going to see how big of a miracle I need to pray for. He's a God who hears, He's a God who sees, and He provides. And he's asking us to just be faithful with what he's given us. He's not going to the one who only had two talents. Well, why didn't you do like the guy who had five? He came back with ten. Why didn't you come back with ten? It's like, no, you had two, you came back with four, way to go. You had five, you came back with ten, way to go. Good job. He's gonna, you're gonna, we're all going to have to stand before God, and he's going to go, what did you do with what I gave you? Let's pray. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. God, we need you. Lord, if there are places in our hearts where we haven't grabbed hold of your abundance and we've believed that there's not enough, I ask God that you would heal our hearts of those traumas that have embedded those lies in us, that there's not enough, that you won't provide and that somehow we have to figure it all out on our own. God, where we have taken matters into our own hands and we have managed these things as if they're ours and not yours. God, forgive us for taking your place of authority in our lives when it comes to our finances. God, we don't want to live that way. Change our hearts that we can do what you've called us to do with our finances. We surrender all of our time, our energy, our resources, everything that we own, whether it's our cars, our vehicles, our clothing, our money, and even our debt. God, we put it all into your hands. We say, God, give us wisdom to manage these things the way you want them managed because they're yours. In Jesus' name. Riches I heed not. Riches I heed not. For man's empty
love of God the Father, gracious presence, Jesus Christ, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit go with each of us as we leave here. We are his ambassadors, bringing all things, including his wealth, his money, into subjection to him. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Bless you all.